Good morning. It's good to be back. I mean, it's, it's a good thing we didn't do first week last week. Uh, for those that are new to Bethel's Rock, first week is usually the first week of the year, even though so I've been saying first week is second week, but um, you'll want to come every single night of first week. On Friday night, um, well, tomorrow night, the guy who's speaking tomorrow night he saw his church grow a thousand people in one week. No one has ever seen that before that we know of. He'll be speaking tomorrow night. And then on Friday night and Saturday, something happened. And, and uh, before I left for vacation, we found out that w the person we had scheduled, Sean Smith and Krista, they weren't coming because of an, an issue. And they were scheduled to go to Sammy Rodriguez's church. I don't know if you know who he is, but it's a huge church. And that's where they were going to go speak. They were speaking there. And we were able to work it out. They will be here Friday night and Saturday. Yeah, that was a deep breath, sigh of relief. But he, he called Sam. He said, we're not coming. We're going to a, a better church in Minnesota <laughs> called Bethel's Rock. And so you will want to be there Friday night and Saturday at 10. You don't want to miss any of them. You don't want to miss any of them, but we need you to bring friends with you on Saturday night and Friday night, or Saturday morning, Friday night, and we're also going to be taking an offering during the week because it's an enormous budget to do this, but it is really a week to kind of get the compass back to north. How many know during a year you can find yourself getting all over the place, and it's really giving God the first week, the first of the, this year, and saying, God, I need to get my cal compass calibrated and, and make sure I get things back in order, some things that have gotten in order. How many have kind of gotten your eating out of order, right? And uh, some of you, I know how you are. You start eating bad the week before the fast because you're like, It'll, I'll correct, the fast will correct all wrongs. That is the worst thing you can do. Uh, and, and I want to encourage you, if you're, you're fasting, and I, and I would expect that everyone in here is fasting next week, all of us, don't eat a lot of food today. I'm just telling you, you want to take it down to just a, to a little bit. I started on Saturday, yesterday, just really kind of going down in your intake. It'll make it a lot easier to do as you go into the fast. It'll make it a lot easier to do that. And then 6.30 to 7.30 for prayer. And then not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, we need to get serious about prayer. And I know it's not real... Um, you know, like, oh, let's go to, we, we need to have a prayer meeting. That's not go to your separate chair and have a devotional time. A prayer meeting is when we come together as a community, we come together and we begin praying about some issues we need to pray about. If we're going to move mountains, we're only going to do it through prayer together, right? So a week from Wednesday, prayer meeting, it's, it's, it's a one-hour prayer meeting from 7 to 8, and then a half hour of fellowship afterwards. And that's why we have cafe at all of our campuses, is, is the service doesn't end at the benediction, it just moves into the next stage of the service, which is the community that you have in the cafes. So I want to encourage you to hang around, get to know at Farmington, you do it well. Um, in fact, from what I hear, you guys hang out with each other a long time. We're going to try to do some things with the bathroom to open up the lobby a little bit more. Um, so you have more space out there, but it's important that we know one another, isn't it? So 
I'm going to start, and, and theme reveal is Sunday, so we're going to, today really starts uh, first week, and then we end next Sunday with, with theme reveal. We're going to start our series of the theme for 2023. If you're new to Bethel's Rock, theme reveals when we reveal the, the annual theme for the year. No one knows what it is. Not even the board knows what the theme is. Only those who are on the staff uh, know what it is. And so we reveal it at the end of first week, so you want to be here for that as well. Okay? So, Father, right now I pray as we go into your word that you'd open our minds to hear and to understand what you are uh, wanting to say to us today. I pray that my mouth would speak your word, nothing more, nothing less, and, Lord, that it would transform our life, I pray in Jesus' name. And those who agree, say amen. amen. Okay, I'm going to finish this series on Daniel and I'm really going to focus on the end times. It's interesting because whenever you go through a tragedy in the world, everybody wants to know, is this the end, right? You know, when COVID came, everybody wanted sermons preached on Revelation because they all wanted to know if it was the end. And, and the reality is no one knows if, if we're in the end. If you were to ask me what my personal opinion is, I would say for sure all of the signs are either fulfilled or being fulfilled as we speak. We are in the end, uh, in, in the end of the times that we as believers will know. Maybe not all people will know, but as believers on this earth, we're at the end of times. In the book of Daniel, what we've been talking about, about is how do we interact? How do we interact as believers of Christ in a culture that is anti-Christ? right? That's what we've been talking about. One, that there are two cultures, the culture of the kingdom of God and the culture of the world. And we're not trying to redeem the culture of the world. We're not trying to redeem the culture of the world. We're trying to redeem those souls that are living in the culture of the world and invite them into the kingdom of God. There's a lot of Christians that are trying to redeem the culture of the world because they want to live in it a little easier, right? So they want the culture of the world to mirror more the kingdom of God so it's not hard living in it and we can live it. But when the culture of the world gets pretty evil, it really causes us to be persecuted a little bit more while we're on the earth and we don't like that. Amen? Nobody likes the persecution. But we're living in the kingdom of God and we're inviting people from the kingdom of the culture of the world into the kingdom of God. That's what we're called to do. I'm reading a book right now and I'll, I'll share what book it is. Uh, I'm having the staff read it now, and one of the things I read this morning was what's happened in the church is many believers have lost their identity of who they are and what their purpose is. They're caught up in working their jobs and making money and attaining all these possessions just like the Israelites did, and they lost sight of the fact that God provides for all of that. He's, he's saying to us right now, I've called you to be my witnesses, to bring life to other people. And, and, and until the church really recaptures that vision of purpose, that that's what we're called to do, the church will continue in this country or in any community that it's in to be fruitless. God's calling us back to our identity. And, I, and I'll share that book with you in a, in, in a little bit. 
In the culture we're living with, though, living in, there's peer pressure, there's cultural cancellation, there's, there's threats to your livelihood. If you, if you pray with that person at the workplace, you're going to lose your job. Well, guess what? Jehovah Jireh wasn't on the application. God is your provider. That job is not your provider. I'm called to be a light in life and a witness to the world around me. Wherever I'm at, you should not live, live in fear of losing your job and somehow not paying your bills. I'm telling you, God says, I will take care of you, Amen. right? The reason we get into fear is because we forget who we are and we forget who he is and what he says he is in our life, or we don't really believe he's going to fulfill who he is in our life, Right? So when you see someone sick, go ahead and pray for them. Well, my company says I can't. Do it anyway. Right? Do it anyway. You say, well, I just don't think. Well, they said you shouldn't pray for the sick in the temple. Jesus did it anyway. And they got mad at him. He says, what are you telling me to do? I just helped this person. Actually, quite frankly, how many work in a company? You work in a company? company, raise your hand. You work in a company, you're in a doctor's office in a company, raise your hand, you're in a company. Okay, this is, if you've raised your hand, you're working in a company, this is what you should do. You should go to your employer and say, you know what, I'd like to be the, the company chaplain. <laughs> I think it would be really good if there's anyone you think are having marital problems, financial problems, health problems, you, I'll be the company chaplain, and you don't have to pay me any more, I'm already compensated. Right? How many, how many raise your hand? And you raise your hand. How many saying, okay, I'm going to do this. Raise your hand. All those hands that were, <laughs> there's a lot less hands. You, you think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. See, this is what I'm talking about. That's what you are already. You should make them aware that that's what you are. So then, then you want to talk about being a witness? Then the company says, oh, that's a good idea. Then we can say we're all about, they can, they can spin it to say it's a great place to work. We even have chaplains. Right? And then and in anybody comes to you, they'll pay you to minister to the people of their business. How many are saying, okay, I'll do that, Pastor? <laughs> Raise your hand. Raise your hand. You say, okay, Pastor, I'll do that. Okay, I got 10 people. I'm going to change my message right now. Everybody that raised your hand should be raising their hand again, right? This is, isn't this who we are? Isn't it who we are? It, you want to come to the end of your life, you want that watch they give you, if they give you anything else when you retire other than a Dairy Queen ice cream cake. <laughs> Don't you want to take souls out of that company, right? So, so what's going to happen? That's the question everybody wants to know. Jesus said no one knows. He couldn't tell them because he didn't know the day or the hour. Matthew 24, 3 says this, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, said, tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the signs of your coming of the end of the age? And he says, I can't tell you when it's going to happen. Only the Father knows when it's going to happen and he's going to come like a thief in the night. Now, how many were terrorized by the movie, The Thief in the Night from the 1960s, right? You're saying, you're having us raise our hands a lot today. <laughs> Right? There was a movie in the 1960s that came out called The Thief in the Night. And it was on one of those real films where it goes... 
How many, right? And if you didn't repent, it, you, you, were, you weren't watching. Like it, had, like, it had the razor, the razor, you know, the electric razor that was in the sink going, because you'll be left behind, right? And, and the rapture would occur, and, and it freaked us all out that it could happen in that moment. And that's some 30 years ago, 20-some years ago when that, when that happened, and everybody got saved. But, but it was all because of fear, it was fear. And a lot of times, when we talk about the end of days or the end of time, a lot of people are afraid. They live almost as believers. It should be the thing, the fact the Bible says we should look forward to it. And there's a lot of people saying, well, I don't know about that. Like when we talk about the one world order, Christians are like... Rather than saying it's going to happen because the Bible predicted it, praise the Lord, the end is coming, right? You know what I've noticed? There is a point where you get older, and I just had a birthday. I'm now 40. Um, <laughs> there is a point as you get older where you look forward to it, and when you're younger, you don't. How many know what I'm talking about, right? Because we just don't want to die. We're going to die. We'd just rather go up in the rapture than actually physically die. But, but the Bible says that we're to look forward to what's going to happen. And, and, and I think there's some confusion because there's so many viewpoints on it. There can be some confusion in it. We've seen things like World War II where people thought that it was going to be horrible. And, and it was. Can I tell you? World War II was a perfect example. If you study history, I love history. I, I love history. I took every history course I could. Hitler is amazing to me. Not in a good way. What's amazing to me about Hitler was the power he operated under was not normal. Many people thought he was the Antichrist, and they should have thought that because he was a type, if not an antichrist. He operated in a power that was supernatural, that was not given to him by God, but given to him by another power source. What he convinced people to do was just a taste of what the antichrist will be able to do. They, I'm telling you, you may be sitting in here, if you are not in your word, if you are not going to the Lord, you don't know his voice, even you could be deceived by the the Antichrist. There weren't just normal people. There were church people who followed Hitler. Hear me. There were people, church people, who followed Hitler. People brought up in Sunday school who followed Hitler because they had abandoned the word and the safety of God's word and knowing his voice that they were deceived by the power of the Antichrist. And he is powerful. To make people do, think about what Hitler caused people to do. You look at the concentration camps. I've walked on concert in Dachau, walked in the concert, and what, what those people did. It was a power. That's, that's what the Antichrist will bring. Matthew 24, 12 through 15 says, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. This gospel of what? The kingdom of God. What we're doing will be preached to all nations. Not, not redeeming the culture of the world. You never will. It's not intended to be. There will be that will be thrown into the lake of fire. You're bringing people out of the culture of the world into the kingdom of God. 
and it will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Now, it's, it's interesting because Jesus himself and Matthew now tells us what Daniel was talking about hundreds of years before is not just for Daniel's day, it's for the future. You say, well, how do we know what Daniel prophesied hasn't already been fulfilled? It was meant for his contemporaries. Because Jesus looked back and said, what Daniel prophesied will be fulfilled. He's saying it's in the future. It wasn't just for that time. What we showed Daniel, what John the Revelator prophesied in Revelation, is, is going to be fulfilled. Now, some of you think of Revelation, and you're like, man, you know, it's funny it's named Revelation when it's the most confusing book there is, <laughs> right? And, and the reality is, and this is the truth about Revelation, Revelation was written by someone who saw it in a period of time that's further ahead than us. So he's trying to describe things he saw that he had no context to explain in his day. He's saying it's, it's like this, it's in this way, but they are listening going, what are you, so they think it's figurative. My grandfather, who is a pastor, would say it was figurative in the Bible, that that was a figurative, where today we look at it and go, no, it's literal. We're actually seeing the invention and the reality of those things in Revelation today. So my, my, when Revelation becomes a revelation, you're real close. When, when, when it's like you get it and you read it and you go, oh, it all makes sense. He's coming back soon. You better get ready, all right? It's coming back. So what he's saying is, is in, in uh, Matthew says, and when Jesus says in Matthew, he says, the Antichrist will stand in the holy place. He'll stand in the holy place. Meaning, and uh, in, in, in um, October, we were in Israel. And there's the Temple Mount, and we stood on the Temple Mount. It is this massive piece of property surrounded by a wall. And on it, right now, is a dome that is a Muslim dome. In fact, you can't even get in it unless you're Muslim. They tried to get us in. The guy just laughed when they, our guide asked. He said, you know better than to ask. And uh, we, we tried to get in there. But, but there was a place on the Temple Mount just behind, at least it was behind from where we entered, which they believe is the inner court, the Holy of Holies. And there's a little dome over it, and I went and stood on it, you know, in the Holy of Holies, you know, did the, 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 and there's a picture somewhere where I'm standing on it, and they believe that was the Holy of Holies, and that spot is what many believe is. And that dome is going to come down, and they're going to rebuild the temple. Currently, they're collecting all of the furnishings of the temple in a museum that's in the Christian sector of Jerusalem. There's this museum there, and they're collecting all the furnishings for the temple for when the dome comes down, the temple will go up. How do we know that? Because it's been prophesied. Now, now listen, it doesn't happen because it's prophesied. Things aren't happening the way they're happening because Daniel prophesied it that way. It, 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 they prophesied it that way because it had already taken place that way. Like God is not held by linear time. He had already, this was how it was going to happen. And he let them see what was going to happen. And they only prophesied the future. 
what they saw happening. Does that make sense? So we know it's going to take place because it's what God showed them. It's, isn't that amazing to you, though? When you think about God, like there's, there's way more purpose that this whole thing isn't spinning out of control. The sky isn't falling. Hallelujah. Right? We have hope. Why? Because God's got His hand on this. The, the, we're, we rest in the reality God's in control still. It's, it's pretty amazing. So there's this thing called the 77s, and it's pretty confusing. I'm going to try to make it as, as, as simple as I can. The, the 77s, I know you're all experts in this, but uh, in the 77s, uh, but there are three basic seasons in the seven uh, seasons or parts or sections of this, and I'll kind of explain it to you. But Daniel 9, 24 through 27 says, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this. And some of you are like, okay, I'm already confused. And then it says, know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore the rebuild, Jerusalem tell the anointed one. Now, Daniel is in Babylon. He's prophesying about the rebuilding of the temple and the city. He didn't know this was going to happen. He had no idea. He's in Babylon. He didn't know what was going to happen in Jerusalem. They were just kicked out. He knew that there was something going to take place, but not... He didn't know, so he's saying this is going to happen. The ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in time of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people, the ruler, will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end A desolation have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed and is poured out on him. I'm glad you all understand that. So, so what's amazing to me is the detail God uses in prophecy. You know why he uses detail? Here's why he uses detail. Because when he uses detail, he's saying, I'm going to give you, I want you to know it's me giving you, so you know this is real. I'm not giving you vague answers so that maybe it'll hit something. This isn't a shotgun. It is a rifle. It is a very narrow thing it has to hit so that you know it came from God and it's right on point. This is just pretty amazing. The first one is to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the temple. That that, that it would build, that Nehemiah and Ezra would build, rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Second, he sees Jesus, the anointed one, which means Christ. He saw the Messiah 77, 49 years later, seven sevens. And then 62 sevens, which is 434 years later, Christ is crucified on the cross. Now, so here's the summary. Here's the summary of what I just said and what we just read. 77s equals 490 years of prophecy. Am I doing the math right? You're all like, yeah, even though you don't know. I'm just <laughs> assuming you did this before you said it, right? 483 of the 490 years have been fulfilled. 
483 of the 490 years has been fulfilled. 69 sevens of the 77s have been fulfilled. 49 years to build the temple. 49, that was seven sevens. 434 years later, Jesus dies on the cross, okay? And seven years of prophecy yet to be fulfilled. Seven are left, okay? What is that prophecy? It prophesies the tribulation period of time. Now, there are all kinds of views on tribulation, which is what brings part of confusion. Some believe, as I do, that Christ will rapture the church pre, and I'll, and I'll share it before tribulation starts. Some believe that they'll do in the middle, and others believe that we're in it, and it's just getting better. It's called post, okay? I, I don't care really as much as, as long as I'm on the first train out of here, <laughs> right? And you better get a seat because it's going to be pretty full. Right? So here's the first. I'm going to give you 10 events of Revelation to go over them. And if you've been in the church any length of time, you've heard them. I am taking something that took 30 weeks to talk about on a Wednesday night. I'm doing it in 10 minutes. Okay? So hopefully this whets your, your taste of just a little bit about it. But there are 10 events of Revelation. The first one is the church age, Revelations 2 to three, Revelations 2 to 3, the church age, and, and it, is, it, it is really talking about the seven churches and warnings to the church. You should read this because this is the age we're currently in, is the church age, and a warning of the church. Now, in September of this 2023, we are going to Turkey. Bethel's Rock is going to Turkey, and we're going to see all seven of these churches. We're actually going with the church in Springfield, Missouri, Central Assembly of God there. And Dr. Bradford, who will be there, who's far smarter than me, he's a rocket scientist. We're going to be joining with them on this trip. So if you want to be there, you go to the Center of Holy Land Studies and sign up under Bethel's Rock, unless you don't want to be with us. But put Bethel's Rock. You say, I'm going to sign up with that other church. <laughs> we'll love you anyway. Uh, uh, but you sign up, and, you, and you, everything's run through them, and then we'll go to Turkey, and we're going we're gonna to study it. And they've said it's just powerful. It's really the, the other part of the Israel trip that we took in October. So I encourage you to come with us on that. What's interesting is the people who say, well, I, I think it starts later. It's funny that the church age stops at the end of three. You don't see it anymore during that period. That if the church does go through all of this, it's not mentioned anywhere else beyond that point in Revelation. The second thing is the rapture. You say, where do we get the word rapture? And we see this in Revelations 4.1. Rapture is an English word translated from raptor, which was a Latin word that was translated from the word caught up in Thessalonians. It was translated into Latin, raptor. Some of you think it's not a dinosaur or a Ford pickup truck. Okay. It is the rapture, which is this, I, I always say it's like a Holy Ghost vacuum, sucks people up. And if you ever did watch Thief in the Night in the movie, you know, when you got sucked up, all the clothes fell perfectly laundered and folded on the ground, you know. And, and, uh, and it just, people are raptured. This is not, and many people mistake that the Lord is coming back. This is not the Lord coming back. The Bible says Jesus will meet us in the air. He never touches foot on ground. That the righteous go up and meet in the air, and they go up into uh, heaven. Now, until we did the study in Revelation, 
uh, revelation, I didn't realize that there are other raptures that take place throughout the, this period of time to the point that three days before the incredible worst three days of the tribulation, Jesus himself declares, come, repent, repent, and they refuse to repent. They refuse. And it does not involve the entire world. This is not the rapture does, but there's all kinds of things. There's other places that are all part of this. So the third one is the rise of the Antichrist. Now, you've all heard about the Antichrist, right? Some, some say, yeah, I'm married to one. <laughs> you need to come for marriage counseling if that's the case, because you might be the Antichrist if you think that. The, right? um, here's the reality. The Antichrist is so powerful. If you think Hitler had power, you should just see what this Antichrist is. L listen, the Antichrist brings the mark of the beast. That's why this is after the rapture takes place. That's why when people say, well, the vaccine's the mark of the beast or, or this, this thing is the mark of the beast. If it's the mark of the beast, the rapture has occurred and you've got some other issues to deal with. <laughs> okay? You've got some issues to deal with. It is not the mark of the beast. And uh, you, you just want to keep that in mind and, and, and recognize there's all kinds of views on this. You know, uh, there, there are people who are pretty passionate about how they view what's going to take place in the end time. So there's all kinds of views on this. And I'm sure there's people wiggling in their seats saying, oh, I don't agree with you. And, and what? Okay. Uh, but, but this is what I see in the scriptures. And even after doing the study, I keep coming back to this. Okay. Then there's the tribulation, which I believe is the seven-year period. Tribulation I shared before, pre, mid, post. There are three different views on that. Um, I don't, there are some in the mid that say, well, I believe it's mid because it'll separate the wheat from the tares. Can I just tell you this? God doesn't need to separate the wheat from the tares. He already knows. He doesn't need tribulation to do that. He already knows who's his and who's not. Then the second coming. This is when Christ will come back to earth, sets his foot on the earth, and he comes back for a reason. He comes back and, um, you know, the battle of Armageddon takes place, and, and, um, and we've talked a little bit about that in Daniel, about that whole battle and what will happen with that. Then after that, or during that uh, tribulation period, the marriage supper of the Lamb, this is uh, the time where we come and we're with Christ, you have the judgment seat of Christ where good and bad works are judged. And um, why good and bad works? Because your sin have already been purchased. So he's not judging your sin, he's judging your works. You have good works and bad works and he's judging those works that you have uh, because some are good and some are bad. In uh, 1 Corinthians 13, says, even if you speak with the tongues of angels, but you don't have love, it's bad. It burns up. So everything we do, our works done out of love will last. Those that are done out of obligation, manipulation will burn up. Then the marriage supper and the lamb during that period, the millennial reign, which is about a thousand year period of time. A lot is not, not a lot mentioned on it. We can see some in it. Um, so, I'll, you know, I'll just give you some thoughts. There won't be any snow. It'll be 75 to 80 degrees every day and night. 
just giving God some ideas that would really make it a great period of time. I really, the millennial, there are people who read a lot into some things to try to draw stuff about the millennial. There isn't a lot on the millennial reign, um, but we do know that the last rebellion will happen at the end of it, where Satan will be released to deceive those. So we know that there, there must be some that are either born or lived during the millennial reign that weren't through all the other stuff. And so the enemy is going to try to deceive them. We go to the to the great white throne and this is where the books are opened and then there's the book of life and uh, if you have given your life to Christ you'll be in the book of life and it'll be a, a just a great experience and yet there will be tears because we'll see many people who will not have their name written in the book of life and they will be sent to the lake of fire or the sea of forgetfulness which is even worse than a lake of fire if you think about it there's nothing more worse than being forgotten by God. That, that's insanely incredible. As if, I mean, even when you're in your worst possible condition, you know God hears you. You can call out to him. But what if God doesn't even know you exist anymore? Whoa. That's way worse. You think you're going to party in hell, my friend. Hell's being, you're going to suffer the punishment of hell which is the lake of fire. And then number 10, eternity. Revelation talks about this, the new heaven and the new earth. Everything that we see during the millennial reign would be on earth as it is. You see the earth. But then there will be a day where it will either be burnt up or destroyed and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and the economy based on how God uh, uh, wants to bring it about. Does, does that make sense? It's as clear as mud, right? Now, I just gave you a brief overview of all of this in the end. A lot of it mentioned in Revelation, and I encourage you to go in and study. Now, listen, you go online, you're going to find every argument you can think of, and they make a lot of sense. So you got to be careful who you're looking at on YouTube or going to. You have access to all kinds of ideas, and they can be very convincing. So you need to be very careful in who you listen to. And you need to, you need to one, look at the credibility that that person has when you do that. Because my goal isn't to be the only voice that shares this with you. My goal, I want you to study it. This is one of those things that is going to come and it will be proven out in time. But it's also something we need to be prepared for, right? Because we're living in a day where there's a lot of people deceiving you. The Antichrist will be so deceptive in a day where we don't read our Bible anymore. And if we're not reading the Bible anymore and we don't know the voice of God, we will be deceived by the Antichrist. We will be deceived by voices that will come because you're not, you're not, you can be deceived, literally. Netflix and Hulu and YouTube TV and all the stuff that you have can deceive you if you're not in the Word. And, and literally, our culture, our culture is being determined by what we're consuming, what our mind is consuming. So, how will all of this end? How should all of this impact our life? Well, there, there's, there's three points I'm going to give you. And you say, okay, you haven't even gotten to your points yet. Yeah, I missed a lot, actually. Here, here are the three points. Let's start in 2 Peter 3.10. By the day of the Lord, this is something everyone agrees on. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and His speed of coming. This everyone agrees on. So whether you agree on what I said in the end time, this we all need to come together on. Right? Here are the three points. Number one, follow God, not culture. Follow God, not culture. If there's ever a time you need to be back in the Word, it's right now. Not all, I'm going to use this terminology because the world uses it and we as Christians use it. Not all secular things are bad. Not all secular music is bad, otherwise you couldn't listen to classical music. Not all secular books are bad, but you have to be able to determine that this is not good for me. This is trying to shape my culture in a demonic way. So this is a movie I cannot watch because it's trying to, but this is something that I can watch. To just say it's all bad is foolish, right? But we have to be in the Word. Regardless of all of the other stuff, you have to be in God's Word. You have to hear His Word and you have to read His Word. Without it, you are, you are exposed. You are at a place where you can easily be deceived. You think, well, I read the Bible already. Then you don't understand the Bible's not a book. It's more than a book. It's something meant to protect you. And the enemy doesn't want you reading it. He doesn't want you studying it. So you need to get in the Bible and begin to study it so it protects you, becomes an umbrella to you. And literally, as you do that, you'll be like literally watching something. You're like, bing, that's not, that's not, no way. We turn that off. I'm not listening to that garbage. Right? Here's, here's the second point. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second point is be ready for Christ's return. We have to be ready. It isn't just a matter of being saved and when he comes, oh yeah, I'm ready because I'm going up. No, it's the reality of what is the value of your life? What, what is the purpose I'm living for? Am I living for eternity? Or am I just ready for eternity? Like if I prepared for eternity, if I go on a journey, if I go on a journey, um, have I done everything I need to make it the best experience when I go into eternity? I'm ready for it. I prepared for it. I knew it was coming, and so I got everything I need for eternity. Or is it, when it comes, I'll just take the clothes on my back and show up. Is that our goal? What's our goal in regards eternity, for eternity? Yeah, it's great you're going. But now that we've been called out of darkness, called out of that deception, we've been called into something, into purpose, into a future. And here's the third one. Make the most of your life. Make the most of your life. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Will you stand? Will you stand? So maybe you're here and you're saying, you know, Pastor, I've listened to what you've said and I know it's going to happen. I, I, I know or I believe something in me tells me what you're saying is going to happen. And maybe you're listening right now and you're saying, I know this is going to happen. You have a chance. You could say, God, I, I want to give you all of my brokenness and sin. I want to give you my whole life. I want to give you everything, right? 
And you can do that today. And God, Christ, is going to redeem you. But for those that are here and you know you're going, you're like, yeah, I'm going. I'm looking forward. Your life should mean something eternally. Right? If, if you were to go to England, if you were going to go to England, and they paid you $2 million a year for two years, and they said at the end of those two years, you'll have to go back to the United States. You can't live in England anymore. You can only be here for two years. And you can take your money that we pay you and send it to the United States, or you can spend it here in England. But everything you buy in England stays in England. You can't take it with you. How many would have a lawn chair and a, and a milk carton as your table? And a lawn chair as your chair. Like if you're making two, I'm going to do two years and go to Goodwill and buy whatever I need for two years because I'm going to send as much money ahead to where I'm going and going to be living, right? How many would say that's what I would do? And I'd do that because, but how many of us are spending our whole life here on this planet to die and we've never sent anything ahead to eternity? Eternity is coming. No matter how you see the end, eternity is coming. That's where we're going to spend forever, right? Let me ask you, for those in this room, take a look at your life. How much of it you've been sending forward? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you right now. Can you close your peepers? Just close your peepers and say this with me. Say this, repeat this after me. Father, Speak to me right now. I need to hear your voice. Now listen. Listen.